0: Welcome to the Prosthetics and Orthotics Podcast with Brent Wright and Joris Peels. Hello, everyone. This is another episode of the Orthotics and Prosthetics Podcast, and I'm joined
1: by Brent Wright. How are you doing, Brent? Hey, Joris. It's good to be on with you again, and I'm super excited about this podcast.
0: Okay, okay. So, why are you so excited about this podcast? Who's going to join us?
1: Hey, well, we've got Paul Sugg, uh, who's the president of East Point Prosthetics and Orthotics, that's going to be joining us. And one of the things that's neat about Paul is he he wears kind of a couple different hats. And so, he's, he's been in the past, essentially, uh, in, in some of the original digital and carving and that sort of thing in the prosthetic and orthotic realm. But then he's also kind of lifted the curtain on the future and is living the future by 3d printing, uh, new devices, new materials. And, um, so it's going to be interesting to talk about, uh, kind of that progression, but then also you can talk about some of the business sense behind some of the decisions that he's making.
0: Okay. Okay. That sounds, that sounds very interesting. So welcome to the show, Paul.
2: Awesome, man. George, good to have uh, the have the opportunity to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so how long have you been working in, 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 in this field? When did you get started?
2: Yeah, I, January of 1993, man. Uh, 29 years I've been doing this, so it feels like a lifetime sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and
0: do you still like it? Are you still very passionate for what you do after, after 29 years?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, helping people is, is is what I love doing. That's originally why I got into the field. And uh, so being able to help people, even if it's uh, now on a more business side, helping employees, you know, reach their potential and things like that. Um, uh, I'm not in as much patient care as I was, obviously, when I initially started. But uh, still being able to help people and still doing missions work and stuff like that around the world. So it's, it's awesome. I still love it.
0: Okay. That's, uh, that sounds sounds really interesting. I, mean, I I said the other day, like uh, when we're when talking to, to Brent, I said, it seems like it's very concrete, you know, you're literally, you, you make something that works or it doesn't, you know, it's a yeah. very hard pass or fail if you, if you don't do this That's correctly, true. you know?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think uh, another thing too is, you know, we oftentimes in prosthetics and orthotics are, are taking care of people. We put a leg on somebody. They stand up and walk for the first time. And there's all this ooh and ah. And it's like, that's what we do every day. You know, so we don't get the, I don't want to say the excitement. I still get just as excited watching a person walk for the first time. But, you know, it's like a life-changing event for some of these folks. And I guess we don't take it nearly to heart like that as they do uh, when they're living it.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and so over the time of your career, what have been some of the things? Just generally, we're not necessarily talking about the digitization thing here, which of course, you know, the main thrust of our podcast is, you know, to talk about three D printing, three D scanning, and digitization of orthotics and prosthetics. But just in a bigger picture, over the past twenty nine years, what has changed, like like in in your your business?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, besides uh, like what you were just saying, besides the digitization process, I mean. You know, we've done, we've done things central fabrication wise. We've done things in-house fabrication. Uh, So materials have changed even in prosthetics and orthotics, forget 3d printing for a minute. Um, You know, there's just not been a lot of changes. What I've seen that's been been such a a huge effect to me about 3d printing is it's changing so rapidly now. Um, You know, it was, Uh, you know, 10 years, you might see one new product or something like that. I mean, all of these companies like to say that they're putting a new foot or a new knee or a new component out every year, and they are. Uh, But as far as big game changers, you don't see those happen except every, you know, 10, 15 years in this industry. But now with the 3D printing coming involved and new materials and different materials, man, that's changing a lot more rapidly.
0: Okay. And is that and 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 why is that important? I mean, is it important because the fit is better? Because it's 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 faster, or what's the driver for 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 three D printing?
2: Well, I think the uh, I think the marrying of uh, different fields now. Is something that uh, for a long time in orthotics and prosthetics, we, we kind of held everything close to our chest. Uh, I, don't, I don't want you to see what I'm doing. Uh, you know, raising the water level for everyone was not something that we were interested in. Uh, these are my patients. I don't want you to see them, things like that. But now, uh, with the marrying of different industries into the prosthetics and orthotics field, uh, we're able to take like aerospace and start interjecting more of that in O&P or, uh, you know, medical devices from other uh, 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 places and, and interject that into what we're doing. And then you have your CAD CAM guys. So you've got engineers that are, that are helping us to develop things like that. I mean, we're engineers in our own right uh, for doing prosthetics and orthotics, but uh, to be able to see those different career fields, if you will, uh, kind of cross and intermingle has just made a huge difference for us.
0: Okay, okay. And are you like are you like super optimistic about like, are all prosthetics going to be 3D printed? Or what's your view on how, how it's going to develop?
2: Yeah, I think uh, probably the biggest thing there is, you know, I hate to say this because I feel like I'm an old timer to a certain extent. You know, we get enough old timers die out. Yeah, it'll change, (laughs) you know, but uh, the sad thing about it is we've got to get uh, past uh, the stigmatism that's there, that uh, the only way I can do this is touch it with my hands. Um, And, and, you know, there's an artsy uh, thing to it. I mean, kind of like if you looked at Michelangelo and you said, uh, hey, I'm not going to let you use your paintbrushes anymore. I'm not going to let you use your sculpting tools or whatever. uh, How does he create a masterpiece then? And I think that that's a part of what we're having to get across to not just old timers. I mean, because a lot of people that are graduating now, I mean, the schools that, uh, you know, like Brent and I went to school at still teach traditional methods as well. Um, And so you you come out of school and you've learned how to do this the traditional way. Uh, Your foundation blocks are there uh, and you have to learn digitization if you want to change with the environment Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. and how are you guys like uh how are you guys getting to grips with the technology at east point what's what are you doing to 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 get it on board and to to
2: make it work yeah i think one of the things there is um you know being open again um you know brent has been very instrumental in in obviously pushing the envelope for us uh sometimes i want to pull his reins a little bit and he probably wants to pull mine sometimes you know and I think it works good that we're different personalities and um, the tech savviness uh, that he has, we are able to look at uh, reverse engineering uh, for components. We are looking at uh, the scanning methods that, you know, I I like the way that I was kind of introduced as a past, present and future kind of guy, because that's kind of how I feel. I mean, it's It's a matter of taking some of the things that we've learned from the past, being able to utilize them in the present, but then be able to see the future enough to say, hey, this is a new type of scanner or, hey, to capture this digital image it's going to be better if we utilize this technology or this software to be able to modify or, uh, you know, having the ability to do something not necessarily faster, but being able to not be bogged down as much in the digital design realm. Because I think one of the most important things to us as clinical people is still patient care. I want to spend time with my patient. I want to make sure that the patients fit appropriately. And so I don't ever want to lose that part of it. So in that you know, 3D forward thinking vision, I don't want to lose time with my patient either.
1: So that's, that's pretty interesting, Paul. And I, I, I kind of I, taken that, the idea of spending more time with patients, uh, I'd like you to just kind of share a little bit from the business perspective of, okay, this is a journey that you're taking in 3D printing, but then can you kind of expound on that? What does that mean for East Point as a business and for like the people that uh, bringing into East Point residents and, and new employees and such?
2: Yeah, I think uh I think you you got residents, you know, we go out and we visit schools and you know you, immediately you say 3D printing. Boom, everybody's ears perk up and they're all kind of uh, tuning in to what you have to say. Uh, you know, I think as, as long as we are able to show in the O&P field uh, the ability to show progression, then we can uh, entice young people to come to work with us. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I'd like to say that we are leaders in the industry in O&P at here at East Point. Uh, but I would also like to say that we are open to uh, being able to utilize new technologies and respect. Uh, I think that's another thing, too, that that we show these young people when they come out of school. They've worked hard. They've, they've learned a lot. They come from varied backgrounds and and just bringing their level of expertise and and enhancing that uh, makes it beneficial for all as well. Because, I mean, I I never cease to be amazed at some of the young people coming out of school now that are showing us stuff, um, you know, and showing us new ways to do things. And and so I think, you know, you don't get stuck in that past and just live there forever. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And you know, certainly being able to reach, I mean, you know, the missions work that we do. I mean, I think about that when I think about how far does it reach with East Point, uh, you know, this 3D printing and where we're going. I mean, we're literally on the other side of the world, taking a structure scanner on an iPad, uh, a a digital scan of someone Sending it to the US, fabricating a prosthesis that we take with us to the Ivory Coast, West Africa. Uh, how much more technologically advanced could you possibly get? That you know, people in developing nations are getting things that are higher tech than a lot of folks are getting. And I think that's probably my biggest frustration is that, you know, you want to shake O and P people, you know, and say, get on board here why are you not doing this? Uh, but again, I think a part of it is resistance. Some of that old school, but I think as, as you, we turn out new young people, uh, there's going to be a higher demand for uh, the 3d printing.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's interesting, but you say that people should do this, but I mean, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of resistance to change always. And, you know, a lot of it, like, you must have failed a whole bunch of times too. The 3D scanners are really tricky and really annoying to work with. For example, I mean, how do you kind of balance the you know experimentation and failing and and you know also like a budget and time and all that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and again, that's that's one of the nice things about having residents. You can blame it on all them, right? <laughs> you know, so but n- not really. I mean, the thing about having residents or young people that come in. Is you're expecting somewhat of some failures. We all fail, and I think that's the way that we learn how to do things better. Obviously, right? And so, failure is is not a problem as long as you don't hurt a patient. Carry it to the nth degree that there's you know you're you're setting it up to be a catastrophic failure on someone. That's that's not ever our intention. So safety of our patients obviously is first. However, are there failures? Certainly, there are. I mean, you have to remember, I came from, you know, thirty years ago doing things with a with a different type of, of Seattle shape maker was was one of the first things that we used. You know, back in school and and the old uh, uh, carving of the foam models and foam blanks and, and plaster models that we were literally carving in a carving machine. And, um, so I've seen certainly technology change there, but as we see failures happen, if you don't push that envelope, you're not going to see, um, you know, what, it, what we're capable of with certain types of materials. You need to know the properties of the material enough to understand where its failure point is. We don't want to over engineer because, you know, people, people lug around a prosthesis that's 20 pounds all day. They're extremely tired at the end of the day. If they, if they carry around the same prosthesis and they're able to do that in five pounds, that's a total different you know, um, energy expenditure that they have during the day. And so, um, you know, pushing the envelope is something that we always do that we've never had a problem with. Um, but again, in a very controlled environment, um, uh, with our patients, uh, you can, you can tell some of the extremely active patients that we may over engineer and then start backing up from that. So.
0: Mm -hmm. And what's the advantage for the patient of the, like let's say the three D scanning and three D printing? What's a why is it good for me if I would come in? Uh, that this is the technologies that are deployed.
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, the accuracy uh, is one thing because you know no matter how many times if I if I put a, a a roll of casting tape in your hands and a roll of casting tape in my hands and both of us take a cast of a patient. Um, we're going to get different results because your hand strength may be different than mine, mine different than yours. Uh, the tension values, how tight you pull or something like that could could deform or change the shape of the person's residual limb uh, or their leg or, or arm or whatever you are casting. And so I think the accuracy is one of the most important things. Um, how we can, Again, uh, do things with 3D printing that we're not able to do with traditional fabrication. Uh, A good example of that is uh, one area of a device being flexible and one area of a device being rigid. In traditional fabrication, that's very, very difficult. In digital fabrication, it's extremely easy. And I'm I'm not saying that all digital design is easy. That's not it at all. I'm just saying we have that opportunity that you just cannot do nearly as well with traditional fabrication. So you're going to, as a patient, get to experience the benefit of that that you would never be able to uh, experience in traditional fabrication. Uh,
0: but also, like uh, I think also one thing, this digitization thing has a real – opportunity to really disrupt the value chain, to displace people. Like, for example, people could scan at home and somebody could send them their, their devices, for example, from maybe even another country, bypassing the orthotist, uh, the clinician, whatever, entirely. You know, This kind of stuff can also happen, right?
2: Sure it can. And uh, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, you want to go to the doctor next door and, and you want to get a prescription written because you have uh, some infection or something that you want to be treated by someone uh, that's knowledgeable to be able to do the job for you. That's why you rely on your family care physician next door and you go over to see him. Well, if you like mail order and you like, uh, and nothing against Amazon, I order from Amazon all the time. But, you know, if you, if you jump out there and you, you order something online, you don't know what you're getting. Uh, You know, one of those things that I, I have such a struggle with when I see these uh, people in their basement printing artificial hands and stuff. Is uh, you know when it doesn't fit right or something breaks, who do they call? Uh, where's where's the liability at? I mean, you know, we as clinicians carry heavy duty liability uh, for malpractice and things of that nature that you know the guy in his basement's not going to carry. Um so do you want to go to a, a skilled person to do this who has gone to school to learn about anatomy and, and how a device is supposed to fit next to your residual limb or your body? Uh then then you pay for that. Um and, and you go, well Wow. so don't don't we want to drive costs down Oh, well, certainly you know I mean I, I want I want prosthetics for all I mean I've seen that on some uh, some blog of somebody's prosthetics for all and you know I, I agree with that and I and I want prostheses to be made available for everybody in the world uh, that amputees aren't denied the opportunity to to have a prosthesis however I won't Trained professionals to be doing that, um, you know. There, you, you don't need to develop further problems. I mean, I'll give you a, a small example of that: uh, diabetics or people that are vascular compromised or fit with an artificial limb. If they are fit improperly, and they are a below the knee or transtibial amputee you cause a sore to come on their leg because you're an untrained professional, they could become an above-knee amputee. Well, if you're not trained on how to do that properly, you shouldn't be in the field fitting people with artificial limbs.
1: So on on that, Paul, just just curious, though, why do you think, especially in the upper extremity realm— why these organizations have kind of come to be, you know, these free or like people printing in a basement. It seems like the prosthetic and orthotic industry, you know, has has almost like missed the boat and people are are looking outside of the industry for something that they feel the industry can't, can't give. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on
2: that? Well, I think it's a licensure thing. I mean, you know, I think that that's probably where O&P has missed the boat, Uh, We didn't jump on the licensure board long ago like we should have, and it's kind of like a free-for-all. I mean, here in our state, years ago, uh, I was on the Medicaid uh, review board, and all you had to be was licensed to be able to dispense orthotic devices. And I said, so what does that mean? They said, you just need to be licensed in the state. I said, a licensed orthotist, right? They said, no, 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 just licensed. I said, so you're telling me that a licensed cosmetologist, a licensed contractor, building contractor can dispense these items. Yes. They're licensed. I said, something is wrong with this picture. Um, And so I think that's where O and P has not spent the time to I don't want to say weed people out because, I mean, I believe in free enterprise, but I also believe that there is, uh, again, we should have a level of expertise that our licensure says, if this is not dispensed by a licensed practitioner, a certified type practitioner, then you can't receive this device. I mean, you know, for the longest time, we were the prescription fillers, right? I mean, you know, I'm kind of like a pharmacist. I fill a prescription, You know, obviously I should know more about prosthetics and orthotics than other folks because it's what we do every day. But, you know, as a prescription, a doctor writes us a prescription, we fill a prescription. That shouldn't be able to be done by anybody else except someone licensed or certified to be able to fill that prescription. They shouldn't dispense something without a prescription. I mean, that's kind of like drugs. You know, I mean, you can get them on the street you know but is that where you want to go get your drugs for your health i mean you know so that that's i think that's where onp has missed the boat
0: yeah i, th- I think it's, it's interesting because there is this this revolution going on everybody's swept up on it and stuff and and, and yeah it, it's really difficult to find out where it's going to end up you know i mean i think i think now we're seeing a lot of sockets, and we're seeing some 3D scanning. Uh, I mean, is this the future for your industry? Do you think everyone is going to be using this tool, or every, you kind of clearly think everyone should at least look into it? But but do you really think that it's going to be you know prevalent across like uh, a lot of different uh, devices and a lot of different patients, and it's going to work at scale? Uh, how do you see this working?
2: Yeah, I absolutely. See, you know, if if I had a crystal ball and I was looking at it 20 years from now, I would say every device will be 3D printed. Uh, Are there still going to be some times that there are traditionally fabricated items? Absolutely. Uh, You know, when I first got in the field uh, or when I first opened my office, you know, 13, 14 years ago, uh, you know, I had a lady come to see me and she had an old wood socket. I never would have thought that we would have seen a wood socket Still in existence, you know, a wood wooden socket, you know, a, a a tree limb. I mean, you know, what are you what are you wearing here? And uh, she said it was the most comfortable prosthesis she had ever worn, and she was not interested in changing. And so I think that there is still going to be some lingering, if you will. But I see, you know, I'll I'll make a bold prediction: in twenty years, ninety five percent of all devices will be three D printed.
0: Okay. And why is that? Because I mean, a lot of these parts of these devices need to be very tough and very straight. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to be, you know, the socket part. Maybe I get, but like the, the, a lot of it, it doesn't seem like it's a good business case for, for 3d printing.
2: Well, I mean, you got to think about it too. Each, each socket, you know, you have the socket that interfaces with the patient, right? And then you have a, a knee joint or a foot joint or ankle joint of something, Um, you know, that's going to attach to that, you know, components we buy out of catalogs, if you will. Um, You know, when you're thinking about the socket itself, everybody's different. So having a one-off customized device is something we do every single day. Um, You know, are there small, medium and large wrist splints? Because you have carpal tunnel syndrome, for an example, and you come into my office and we give you a small, medium, large, left or right. Certainly there are some of those things Um, and off the shelf items, if you will, or pick it up at the pharmacy, you know, that kind of thing. There's lots of those devices, but when you get down to a custom prosthesis or orthosis, you are talking about a one-off because no human beings are the same. Uh, Brent and I have done uh, medical mission work around the world and we have made some things fit you know, that, that didn't look like they were made for the patient sometimes that they may come in with and, and it's an ill fitting device, or, you know, uh, my grandfather passed away and gave me this leg. I thought I could use it. Wow, that is it's nowhere near custom made for you. So I think that's where the 3D enhancement comes in because these devices are, are one offs, if you will, and custom made.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned the missionary work a few times. I mean, uh, so what, what do you guys, what do you guys actually do? What do you do actually? Cause I know what Brent does. I don't know if uh, the, you do the same thing all the time, but, but what kind of work do you do then?
2: Yeah. So, uh, Brent has taken me to Guatemala, almost killed me cause he worked me to death down there. So, uh, you know, I was scared to death of Brent when I went, <laughs> you know. true story, anyway, true story, true story. Uh, El Salvador is, uh, actually where I did my first uh, missions work at, but A few years back, we uh, took two shipping containers, uh, actually partnered with an NGO group uh, in uh, West Africa in the Ivory Coast, uh, took two shipping containers and actually sent them over to West Africa, uh, set up a first-of-its-kind prosthetics laboratory there. Uh, So one of the shipping containers is like where we see the patient's. And uh, actually, in the back of that uh, shipping container, we've actually got bunk beds and a uh, a microwave, which is very important, you know, in West Africa. Uh, and a small refrigerator, like a little apartment that we actually stay in when we're there. Uh, then the other shipping container, they're separated, uh, has kind of like a porch in between the two of them, a portico. And uh, we actually do fabrication in the other one, and modifications to their prosthesis. So... Um, that's part of the, you know, vision I had to, uh, be able to send, uh, a, a prosthetics lab to the Ivory coast. And, and we go over there twice a year, uh, to, uh, Tonda, uh, Ivory coast, West Africa, and, um, make a difference in lives. You know?
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm sure that's, that's very gratifying. And, and, and do you manage to train local people as well? Cause that would be, that would be, is is that possible or, or not yet?
2: Yeah, we actually uh, left an iPad and structure scanner there. Uh, so we taught them uh, the casting techniques uh, that we utilize to kind of capture the shape of the person's residual limb. And uh, then we actually scanned the inside of that cast because uh, one of the things about scanning and structure scanners is they kind of read a surface. And so if you can imagine if, uh, you know, I'm trying to manipulate a cast by hand as I'm taking an impression of uh, your body part, Um, if I'm doing that and I'm uh, using my hands, doing that artistry stuff, if you will, and I'm squeezing on an area and relieving an area with my hands, you can't see that in a structure scanner. But what we do is we do a hybridized approach so that we cast the patient, pull the cast off, and then scan the inside so that we've kind of manipulated or moved that tissue. A good probably example for the audience to kind of get a picture of is if you can imagine your foot was deformed or shaped wrong or was bent in a certain direction, and we straighten that out in the casting procedure. Um, that's what we want to try to capture. If we just scan the person's deformed foot, their foot would be twisted and would not be shaped the way that we want it to do. So it's kind of like pre-modifications, if you will, uh, in that. And so we're able to, yeah, we train locals to do that. Uh, You know, what is it? The old teach a man to fish thing. Uh, You know, and, and, and that's how we, we get them to buy into this process um and so yeah we, we use locals and uh, all the time i mean we have one of the local guys work on one of our sewing machines there because he was a seamstress so it's kind of cool so
1: paul <clears throat> joris loves adjustable stuff and he he loves the boa dial and things like that can you share a little bit about some of the socket innovation that uh, uh you know harrison has has done and, and then obviously along with east point and some of the some of the things that we're working on, and you know we've met the the guys from Click Medical, and so uh, just share a little bit of that with Joris.:
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, you know one of the things that you, you, you the traditional fabrication or fabricated prostheses orthoses uh, don't adjust. Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, you use a carpentry term, we shim it. Uh, you know, in other words, if, if you come in today, we fit you with a prosthesis six months from now, you lose some weight or you lose some volume in your residual limb or your body part, if you will. Uh, how would we fill that in? Typically it would be like, uh, if you're wearing a pair of shoes that are three sizes too big, how would you do it? You put six pair of socks on, right. And, uh, tighten that shoe back up on your foot. Uh, Same thing with a prosthesis or an orthosis is uh, we would have to shim it up or actually get them to put socks on. Um, And so having the ability to adjust is where this boa or the click medical folks have just uh, revolutionized the the industry. Uh, You know, and you can do this in traditional fabrication or 3D printing, you know, so you're speaking to all the audience there. Um, the nice thing about it is when you get up first thing in the morning, you're a certain size on your residual limb. You're walking around during the day, your residual limb starts getting smaller because you're literally pushing fluid out of your residual limb. Click medical or these adjustable boas allows you to turn a knob, crank it down a little bit, tighten it up you don't have to put that six pair of socks on, you know, to make it feel better during the day. You can literally adjust it during the day. Um, That's something that we just have not typically had in traditional fast. Now we've done it with straps and different things of that nature, but the way that they've designed this is just, it's pretty phenomenal. And then we're starting to see it in uh, not only the prosthetic devices, but the orthotic devices as well. So, uh, you know, uh, imagine uh, you fracture your arm and you, you put a uh, device over your arm and then you, you tighten down on this boa strap and it kind of locks you in place so that you could have a removable cast. Wouldn't that be nice? Because remember, I, I had a cast when I was a kid and all I ever wanted to do was scratch my arm, you know, and I couldn't get to it, you know, and stuff. And so... Uh, not that you would be taking it off and on while you had a fracture, but just having a little bit of adjustability to It's just so phenomenal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so apart from that, I love the adjustable stuff. I'm a really huge fan of, of this. Um, we've been talking with Brent a couple of times about like some kind of air kind of, you know, remember those pump, my, uh, <laughs> yeah. those pump shoes, yeah, that's right, <laughs> something certainly. like that, like that, that, that would be, I think really, really great. Um, um, uh, or changing textures and stuff like that. So that would also be really cool. But anyway, but um and so what are some other innovations that you really think that if you look back on, on your career so far, you're like, oh wow, that was actually like a big step forward.
2: Um a lot of things. yeah, I mean, you know, in traditional uh, gel liners, uh, you know, so that uh somebody puts a gel liner next to their residual limb that that feels totally different than you you, you know, I talked about the lady with the wooden socket. Uh, you know, instead of putting your tissue next to a hard device that you've got a silicone type gel, uh, that, that was revolutionary in orthotics and prosthetics. Uh, you know, just, you have to think about it. WW2, uh, the majority of the feet uh, that were out there were one specific type and they were basically made with a, a soft, uh, cushiony, Type heel, um, and the majority of the amputees from WW two uh, received that same type prosthetic foot. Uh, you know, carbon graphite obviously changed the industry. So, so seeing some different materials, uh, you know, Proteor uh, used a um, it's called a rush foot, but uh, they used the same material that a helicopter blade is made out of. So. You know, just seeing different uh, materials that would hold up to the stresses uh, that, you know, as people walk on, pound them, uh, is pretty amazing to see uh, rebound, energy storing. These were things that, uh, you know, just a few short years ago, and again, when I say short years, you know, 60, 80 years ago were just unheard of. Uh, Those things have really revolutionized, you know, what we do. Uh, And that's aside from the 3D printing stuff. Um, You know, I think, again, the the 3D printing gets us to be able to push into the envelope of some different materials that we may have never used. And uh, so I think that that's kind of cool, too, especially meshes and things of that nature that, uh, again, can give some automatic relief, uh, you know, on these devices that, that we were not able to do, again, traditionally before.
0: Yeah. And why did you end up in this field anyway? How did you end up doing this?
2: Wow. Uh, so years ago, uh, I worked at a hospital right here in town uh, where I'm at. Uh, I was a orderly or patient pusher. You know, I, I used to bring the patients uh, from uh, their room down to physical therapy. And uh, so physical therapy, uh, we had an amputee clinic once a month. Um, and it was kind of cool to see these guys come in from different locations and uh, they would actually cast a patient. Uh, and then the next time they came in, the patient would walk with this, what looked like Cinderella's glass slipper, you know, it was a, a clear looking socket and wow, they were walking. I mean, this was, this was like incredible and seemed like it was right up my alley. And, uh, so that's kind of where my interest started uh, in this field and, uh, actually, uh, met, uh, my first boss in the field at that hospital. And he said, would you like to come to work with me? And, uh, so he offered me a job and, uh, kind of the rest is history. Uh, one of the, one of the most rewarding things in my career is that, uh, my first boss that hired me, I was able to hire him. And so that was kind of cool. Uh, so he actually works with us now, and uh, that's a, that's a pretty neat thing watching it come full circle because uh, obviously that's what he meant to me in the field and, and getting me started in it, and it's been an extremely rewarding career over all these years.
0: Yeah, and Brent mentioned that like most of the the, the, the outfits in this uh, in the field are either like a kind of mom and pop kind of like one one single uh location or maybe like large chains but but mainly it's it's very fragmented Is it, but you have you've got mobile sites you've got a, kind of a chain of, of locations so how'd you end up going from like you know you want to start for yourself to building this this rather large organization
2: yeah I, um you know i think you have to have a vision i mean you know you kind of uh, when you start a business, those entrepreneurial spirits, uh, that most people have, not that they're all out to conquer the world, but I think we all kind of think that that's what we can do. Um, and so as an entrepreneur for starting a business, you, you, you cast this extremely large net. Now, are you going to be able to do all that? Mm, probably not. However, if you don't have a vision, the people perish, right? And uh, so I still believe in that. And uh, so I think years ago, when I first started it, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know exactly where I was going. I, I mean, I, I wanted to be a, a, I had come from a big national company uh, that had a ton of offices, and there I was, you know, the one guy in the big pond trying to, you know, to compete against those guys, and. Um, you know, to start with, I mean, I think you start small, but then you start seeing a vision, hey, wow, this is really possible. There are a lot of people out here that aren't being taken care of properly. And uh, so you just kind of try to start making a difference in in your area. Uh, and then as it continued to grow, uh, one of the things that, I mean, you know, you would think that this would just stand out like a sore thumb, that uh, we've got, patients that have no legs, um, probably transportation to get them from their home here is a little more difficult. So it's kind of like this guy named Brent Wright. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. uh, He kind of hit me in the head with the hammer and said, hey, man, how about how about uh, a mobile unit? How about let's try on a mobile unit? And I'm like, have you lost your mind, man? You know, I mean, everybody, everybody's mobile. But I think the one thing that we did differently with that is that we really did mobile. We didn't just out of the trunk of your car go out to a patient's house. We took a little Ford Transit van. That's not a plug for Ford, by the way. But you know, we took a little Ford Transit van, re outfitted it into the, the the essential tools that we need to be able to take care of patients at their home or therapy places, or wherever we go to see a patient, you know, the parking lot of the convenience store, wherever we see them. I mean, you know, there's patients all over, you know? Um, and so having those basic tools put inside those vans, wow, it made a difference. And thank you so much for coming to see me. Well, why don't we hire somebody else to do that? And they're probably the cheapest offices that I've ever owned, (laughs) you know, because a lot of people, um, in the O&P industry, when they want to expand, they think that you need to put, well, I've got to have 10 offices and I've got to have 20 offices and they brag about their 20 offices and I go, you know what, I've got 20 mobile units and they are, <laughs> they are 20 offices just like your 20 offices. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's that's kind of what led me that direction. Um Certainly having offices, uh, you know, it's just like we're in central Ohio as well. And, you know, all the way from North Carolina and you go, what in the world did you jump that far? Well, it was just the right people in the right place at the right time, Um, you know, and expanding into Pennsylvania now. So I could certainly see us being even more regional than what we are. And, uh, you know, the future looks, looks bright for us.
0: And, and to what do you, do you credit that success? Is it like, you know, are you really financially really prudent? Uh, do you have the right ideas or the right people? What what are some key elements or you know, kind of ingredients for that success you think? Yeah.
2: Well, I think, uh, you know, if we go right back to the mobile and focus on that, the nice thing about the mobile is if I drive into this town and there's not enough business, then we drive over to this town. And, you know, that saved me from going and opening an office in a town uh, that was a total waste, um, and so I think with the mobile, it's a little more farther reaching, um, and that's that's been extremely successful for us. Uh, and and you know, but you got to have a heart for that too, man. Because you know, you, you stick a van under somebody and say, "Oh, by the way, you're going to be driving all day." Uh, a lot of people don't like to do that. And, um, you know, you've got you to hire the right individuals with that. And we've been through our share of individuals. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a part of it, too. And uh, you have to find the right disciplined employee that can uh, come up with their own schedule, uh, be willing to listen to people try, kind of driving their schedule and, uh, you know, uh, listen, I'm a talker. So I'll sit and talk with you for hours at your home. I would not be a good person to do that part of the business because, you know, I might see two patients in a day and we need you to see eight or 10 patients in a day, you know? And so I think that that's, um, you have to be disciplined to do that. And so uh, again, that's where our success has come is we've been able to try areas before we actually go spend a lot of money in in that one specific region.
0: Mm-hmm. And and do you think it's like I mean, uh, being strong operationally is is is, is I think a key element here, or, or is it, or is that like does that drive your success?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. Uh, you know, it's it's like uh, you know, one thing that's a little different in the medical field, especially when you're billing, is uh, you know, if if I'm East Point Prosthetics and down the street is ABC Prosthetics or whatever name you know you choose. Uh, and we both accept Medicare, the reimbursement for both of us is the same. So the neat thing about that is we're not competing with pricing. You know, I'm not saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll cut $5 off my price to come down here to see me. You know, so then it all of a sudden becomes service oriented. What kind of level service do you give? And, you know, that's one thing that we we demand of our employees is that you're going to take care of people. I think uh, too often in businesses, um, everybody sees the dollar signs and says, hey, I want to make a million bucks. You know, I want to make a lot of money. And I've found in this business that if you take care of people, the money comes. And so I I feel like I kind of reversed the order of that. I didn't just go after money. I went after taking care of people. And because of that, we've been successful.
0: Mm -hmm. that's a a good sentiment i think a good 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 thing to know that uh that's where that uh, success comes from but uh, and thank you so much for being here today uh, paul
2: awesome joris it's so nice to meet you and and thanks again for having me maybe we can get together again sometime soon
1: that would be awesome
0: And, and thank you as well for brent
1: yeah no and 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 uh i know we foreshadowed this at the very beginning of the podcast and i'd love to leave our listeners with something paul can you share a little bit about that uh that tpu gauntlet for the young lady just share a little bit of the history and and what she's been through and just really how that technology uh, made a difference for her
2: yeah uh, the, this young lady um experienced, uh, called complex regional pain syndrome, CRPS, uh, used to be known as reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And and actually what that kind of is, is if you can imagine, uh, you know, just, uh, blowing on your arm, for an example, the hairs on your arm would stand up and that would cause pain. So literally you could be in pain at basically nothing. Um, and so this was going on in her lower extremity um, on her uh, I think it's her right side but anyway uh, so she um, had always worn what looked like a ski boot uh, and and I had made several of them for her over time Uh, and the ski boot um, if you can imagine that Joris is like not only for protection, but to keep anything from bumping against her and causing an exacerbation of the condition. And when I say that her leg would literally contract, her foot would start contorting and all this stuff. So, you know, she's been walking around on this big ski boot and and we put uh, what looks kind of like grandma's rocking chair on the bottom of it, a big rocker sole so that she can walk with that thing. And it's just a big clunky boot. Um, And so uh Brent and I got together uh, with this young lady, uh, took a uh, scan or cast of her. I can't remember. Brent, did we scan her? We wound up scanning her as well, but uh, we did both. Uh, but anyway, uh, the design was uh, this uh, TPU material, which was softer. And, and immediately when you start thinking about a patient like this, you completely immobilize them. In other words, lock them up. So that no movement can happen keeps pain from occurring. I mean, that's that's our goal. That's what we're taught in school. Uh, make sure it's got a hard shell on the outside of it and it's padded real nice on the inside. So it's not hurting her. But if somebody bumps into her at the supermarket with a shopping cart, she doesn't freak out and, you know, writhe in pain laying in aisle six, you know, or whatever. So um we put this soft boot on her. And all I can say is it blew my mind. TPU is a, a you know, your listeners may know some of this, but in, in the O&P industry, it's a, it's a flexible type material, kind of like soft inner liners that we use on on prosthetic limbs, for an example. Um, similar to like a ProFlex type material, if you will. Um, and so we put this soft boot on her. By the way, with a boa system that kind of locked her in, uh, if you can imagine like a tall combat boot that's strapped up real tight to kind of immobilize her that's that's what we were kind of going for. but it was soft and uh, had her toes exposed and and gave just a little bit, give a little bit of flexibility. So we put this on this young lady. she was able to put this thing in her regular shoe. She started walking and crying. And I'm thinking, oh God, we killed this lady. I mean, she's hurting bad. Oh no, we did the wrong thing and all this kind of stuff. And she said, I have never felt anything that gave me more support changing my life forever that I may not have to wear that big, clunky, ugly boot again. And I said, wow. I said, but it's kind of flexible a little bit. She said, when you tighten it up, it becomes rigid. And so it just kind of it kind of baffled us a little bit because here we are locking people up which is what we're supposed to do but not using flexible material. How do you use flexible material to lock somebody up? You know when you go to the doctor and he puts a cast on your leg it hardens, right? And it becomes real rigid. Well, that's what we were taught and that's what we we've always been taught in school. And so to produce something for her that was rigid enough, but flexible enough that, you know, would breathe and would allow, uh, you know, her skin to feel the toleration of this device. It moved with her, didn't cause sores, was a lot easier to walk in. It's just a game changing uh, device for her in her life.
0: Wow, that's wonderful, wonderful story, and that that was made on uh, with MJF. Or, or...
2: It it is a yeah uh, it, correct.
1: That's right. Lubrizol TPU. uh um, yeah. yeah, done by uh, Avid, and it's combination. Well, Avid is Lubrizol now, right? So, um, but they they did it for us, and uh, you know that was a Rev One, and that was that was neat. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us and uh yeah we're we're up against the clock but i appreciate your time paul for sure joris take it away
0: yeah th- well thanks everyone for being here today thank you for being here today paul thank you so much absolutely and brent thank you for being here as well
1: oh this has been great uh a lot 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 to learn and uh super excited about what's coming next perfect dude perfect
0: and uh me too me too and uh yeah So thank you for listening to the prosthetics and orthotics podcast. My name is Joris Peels and uh, join us for our next episode. (music) Bye-bye.